Hello, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach. I am excited about another episode of our podcast. We started this podcast to highlight local stories of faith and sports, and we have been blown away by your feedback and your encouragement. And today, you're going to hear episode number 13. I am extremely honored and excited for you to hear a conversation I had with my friend Chad Kettler. I've known Chad for about a year. Chad is born and raised here in Coppell, Texas, played baseball all his life, on into college, drafted out of the major leagues in high school as well. God got a hold of his heart his senior year in high school, and you're going to hear a powerful testimony from Chad today about what happens when, when we totally surrender to Jesus. Chad is married to his high school sweetheart, Aaron. They live here in Coppell, and Chad was recently hired as the lead pastor of Grace Point Church. So without further delay, let's jump right into Chad's story. Thanks for joining me today, Chad. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. So let's start this. Let's tell the listeners a little bit about your story, kind of growing up here in Coppell, about your family and what it was like. Sure, yeah. Um, Grew up in Coppell um, and uh, have an older sister named Chaley, mom and dad, Dana and Chris, and uh, they just raised me. My dad's a a CPA, tax director. My mom worked at a preschool that, that I went to, Stringfellow here in Coppell, uh, for a long time, and uh, just grew up uh, in the Coppell school system and uh, playing all kinds of sports, uh, specifically baseball. Um, I played baseball, soccer, football, basketball. I played pretty much all the major sports uh, growing up and um, going through, um, you know, from, from the time I was a kid, I was, I was raised in church. So I was raised at First Baptist Carrollton, actually, at the time. Uh, that's where most of my parents' friends were, and uh, was raised in the church. Then we sh- shifted to IBC, Irving Bible, uh, in middle school and high school, and I was raised there, and uh, was under some great pastors and, and learned a lot. And um, so that was kind of my background growing up in church, playing sports. We were an integrated part of the, the Capo community. So in high school, she so went to Capo High. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you play, I know you played baseball, did you play any other sports? Yeah, so I played football my freshman year in high school. Uh, and then, and then it, I realized that you know, in order to play fall ball for baseball, you know, that conflicted with football, and so I had to kind of choose one. And I knew that baseball was my better sport. What years were you at the high school and playing baseball? I was there from 2006 to 2009. So that was a big baseball years. Big baseball years. Yeah, I, I uh, started as a freshman at shortstop, um, and uh, so that was a lot of fun. It was pretty intimidating, I must say. You know, I had a lot of older guys on the team, juniors, seniors, that were going to play ball in college. And even professionally, so it was pretty intimidating. You know, we went to the playoffs that year against Flower Mound and all that, and it was, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. And at what point during during your high school baseball career did you realize that you had the potential to play past high school? It was about when I was thirteen or fourteen years old. Um, I was playing for the Dallas Tigers select club, so I okay. played for the Tigers from nine years old to eighteen years old. Oh wow! And I was with them sort of in the formative years of the club. Where they were just getting their getting their grounding and their feet under them, and um, all their team, all their older teams were doing really well, and so they would just discipline us and work us to to the core, and uh, eventually make us really good ball players. And so when I was thirteen or fourteen, we had scouts looking at us. I mean, at thirteen, fourteen oh, wow. years old, talking with the coaches, and they kept these long-standing relationships with our coaching staff on the Tigers and even the high school coaches, and they just watched us play as we grew up. And I, I knew. One of those being, and I, uh, we'll talk about it in a second. I went to OU for to play ball, but one of those scouts being the OU uh, um, recruiter. Oh, okay. So, so you mentioned, you know, going to play at OU. Talk about the recruiting process in high school. I mean, I know 
high school's got enough pressures of, of its own. So talk about balancing that and um, and maybe why you chose OU. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there were, by the time we were sophomores and juniors, there were scouts at all of our games, um, college scouts, even pro scouts. We Our high school team, my senior year, had seven Division One signees. We actually had three guys drafted uh, after our senior year of high school. And um, so it was an exciting time. Uh, early on, during the early high school years when we had scouts there, it wasn't as intimidating, it wasn't as serious, because we knew we still had three years to play. Okay. And so we were just building relationships yeah. with them, and they knew we had some time to grow and develop. We weren't fully developed players, mm-hmm. you know, college level yet. But when senior year rolled around, I mean, it became pretty serious, where you've got 15, 20 scouts there, some of them professional scouts, and, and you know where they're at in the stands. You can see them, you can, you know, they got their hats, they got their guns, they... You know, they just, they walk the walk and um, you can tell who they are. And so the challenge became focusing, uh, not focusing so much on their presence as much as the game at hand. Ah. And so what happened was our team was extremely talented, but we became more concerned about impressing the scouts than we did about uh, being a team and focusing on the game at hand. And so that was a challenge internally, and we didn't play as well as we could have. But it was a lot of fun talking to the scouts. They would give us some pointers and tips. They would ask us questions that kind of, about our game that would give us indications of where we need to work on things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. So why did you choose OU? I chose OU because I think the uh, I knew I'd have a, a good chance of starting at that school because they're they're a, a great competitive team, Division One. but I knew that year specifically that they were looking for a shortstop. Uh-huh. And also the recruiting uh, coordinator, Tim Tadlock, who's now uh, Texas Tech head coach, He's been there a couple of years, kind of turned the program around. Mm-hmm. He was just so relational, so down to earth. I mean, he's the guy who, even after I quit baseball, would call me and want to go get breakfast in Coppell when he was in town recruiting, even even though I wasn't playing baseball anymore. Oh, wow. Just very personal, and he just kind of won me over. That's yeah. cool. So it's about relationships. Yeah, relationships for sure. Good deal. So what would you say is your greatest accomplishment in baseball? I would say the greatest accomplishment um, – was probably the the MLB draft, uh, just just getting drafted to play professional baseball. But I think on a, a more spiritual and personal level, it was being able to lead our high school team as a captain and being able to lead that team spiritually. And uh, just kind of, I was transformed by the Lord uh, later in my high school years, and then be, being able to pass that on and be kind of, let that be contagious towards my teammates. I think leading them in that way and not just in the baseball way was one of the greatest accomplishments. So what round were you drafted in? 24th. 24th. By the Dodgers. By the Dodgers. Did you ever – was that a difficult decision, choosing college baseball versus the draft Uh, or signing? It was not because I was drafted so late, and I didn't didn't have a signing bonus or anything like that. And I told the – I was talking to the Royals and the Dodgers at the time. Those were the two major teams. And, you know, I told the Royals a certain amount that I would need to to skip college because college was important to me. Yeah. And I knew that college was a great way to develop as a player. And uh, that I needed that, unless it was like some awesome, amazing opportunities. Right. It wasn't very difficult at that point. Cool. So, what would you say is your biggest disappointment or maybe greatest challenge? Well, my injury. So, I I had to quit baseball primarily because of a lower back injury. I herniated two discs in my lower spine, uh, lifting weights, doing, you know, power lifting and stuff like that over time. So, that was a huge disappointment. Didn't see that coming. and then uh, maybe a greater disappointment. Um, I would have to maybe come back to that. But, um, yeah, I, I think it was main, mainly the injury, uh, having to quit baseball, thinking that I could serve the Lord through baseball and then not, not getting that chance. Wow. So you mentioned 
a few minutes ago about coming to Christ later in your high school years. So tell us a little bit more about that story, about how you accepted Christ in, in high school, and, and you know, and then you mentioned your, your injury, and then so maybe how your faith impacted that. Absolutely. Great question. So I, I was raised in the church. My parents were great parents. They raised me well, I would say, uh, with confidence. And um, I was at Irving Bible Church Middle School and High School, and I was just one of those guys who, you know, I was mainly a Christian by profession, but not by a transformation. Mm. And so my life had not been transformed by Christ. I didn't actually know Jesus. I, I didn't know the living God. Um, I just professed to know him, but I had no evidence to back that up in my life. I lived I lived in sin. I, I, I lived however I wanted with a disregard for the Lord. And my senior year rolled around, and because we our team was so talented and so stacked, we actually had a couple of extra former head coaches come in. So we basically, even though the two new coaches were assistant coaches, they were basically three head coaches on the team that had coached in, at that level. Wow. And so they were trying to get us to the, the uh, state championship. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the goal. And one of those being Coach Herb Rios. And he's still a coach today, I think, at Brownwood High School. And uh, he was just a strong believer. He was that guy who not only talked the talk but walked the walk. And, and to me, that was very convicting and encouraging because I was the guy talking the talk. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I, I love Jesus. And there was no fruit. There was no evidence of that. It was actually a lie. But for him, it was like he said the same things I was saying, but he walked the walk. He, he lived the life. And he had a huge impact on me. And then, and then one night he was sharing a message at a FCA meeting, Fellowship of Christian Athletes with some of us as players, and he just talked about how, you know, a lot of people claim to be a Christian with their mouth, but they haven't been changed in their heart, Mm. and the the Holy Spirit, God used that to convict me of my sin, convict me that I had been a hypocrite, that I had just been saying this stuff, but I didn't really live it, and uh, he he converted my heart, he changed me from the inside out, and that was the night I I truly called upon Christ uh, in prayer for the first time, in repentance, and and say, I need you. Uh, I've messed up. I need forgiveness. I need to know you. Set me free from all the things I'm doing. Um, and I want to I want to follow you. And from that day on, my life was completely transformed. Um, and I, I never looked back once. And I, I became deeply in love with the Lord for the first time. And I uh, wanted to share that with others. And so that led over into me as a captain, leading the team towards that. And we'd have Bible studies as a team. Wasn't required by any coaches or anything like that. But you know, me and another guy wanted to just put that together. We'd sing a song together on a guitar. We'd, we'd read through a book together and talk about it. I mean, it was it was pretty incredible. Wow. Um, so that was, so your senior year, so how many of the guys would come to that Bible study? It was almost the whole team every wow. week. I mean, it was probably 20 guys. Yeah, we'd sing a worship song, and then we'd talk. We'd eat, eat some grub. The parents would host us, and they loved it. I mean, and, and the guys, I... To this day, I look back, and I'm, I'm convinced that a lot of them weren't born-again born again Christians. They mm-hmm. didn't know the Lord. They were kind of like me before I met the Lord. You know? Right. Kind of claimed to be Christian, but they, they didn't really know Him. They hadn't repented and uh, trusted Christ. And um, But, you know, so it was almost like an evangelistic setting for me, looking back. And I hope it had a deep impact. Do you have any relationships with those guys now? Yeah, I mean, loosely. Uh, yeah. we're, we're, we're not, like, deep friends or anything like that. There's some guys all over the place, Austin, around the country, so I'm playing pro ball now, and you know I still have minor contact with them through social media or text. Right. But yeah, I mean I could call them up and have a conversation with them. Uh, one of those being uh, uh, Drew Verhagen. He's a reliever for um, uh, the Detroit Tigers right now. I played summer ball with him, and 
we roomed together actually at OU my freshman year. Oh wow! And so he's a reliever now, and uh, there's some other guys in the minors. Uh, Jacob Morris is a is a pitcher. Played with him at Capo High and others. So that's cool. Yeah. So, what year at OU did you did you suffer the back injury? I actually suffered the injury right after I signed my contract with OU. So I was still in high school. It was summer after I believe my senior year, going into my freshman year at OU, and that's when. Uh, I woke up one morning and just had terrible nerve pain. I couldn't bend over to brush my teeth or anything. Wow. And that was post-signing the, the contract. So I, I talked to the coaches. I let them know what was going on. And I said, look, I, I'm still committed to this. And uh, I just want to come and work with the, the trainer every day on the team and then work with your orthopedic, the football orthopedic. And we did all that, and the Lord just didn't allow me to heal. So how did your faith impact your recovery or dealing with that, maybe, because um, I know it's a big disappointment. You worked since you were, what, nine to get to that point, and then all of a sudden it's it's gone, right? right? It, you know, when I first injured it the summer going into my freshman year at OU, it was very difficult because, on the one hand, I love baseball, and I thought I was going to be able to play professional baseball. I had I'd been drafted, and I was like, okay, this is becoming a reality. This is everything I worked for, yeah. and this is a blessing from God because now I had a Christian perspective on it. And now I can, you know, I can be like a Tim Tebow. I can use, you know, athletics for the glory of God, and I can be a witness for Christ in that realm. And so I was really disappointed that I wasn't going to be able to do that if I if I didn't heal. The other half was my parents were very disappointed. They weren't angry at me, uh, but they had worked so hard at this point. They yeah. had invested dollar after dollar after dollar, thousands of dollars and hours, taking me all over the world for baseball. And it's over in a moment. Wow. And uh, so it was difficult seeing my parents go through that. And it was difficult coming to the reality that I may not get to use this for the glory of God. I may have to go a different route and not knowing what that route would be. So the uncertainty of it is, you know, that's where faith comes in. It's like, okay, I don't know where the promised land is in a sense, but I know I need to take this step forward. Yeah. And so that was, did you ever play at OU? I did, yes. Uh, I played. I had seven at bats total, and wow. uh, one many, but I played three innings at short. And uh, every time I was at shortstop, uh, I could, you know, I could play, I could hang in there, but my agility was way down. My, yeah. my speed, it was painful, um, and so I didn't want to mess the team up. I didn't want to cause them to lose a game or anything like that. And I was, I think, two for seven at the plate, which was which was good. I had. Um, one of my the probably the best memory of playing at OU was we were playing I think Florida State or uh, some some team from Florida we were at home and it was the the uh, top of the ninth actually we were down um, no bottom of the ninth actually we were down a run and randomly I mean I've been sitting the whole game and at this point I hadn't hit at all maybe at the beginning of the season when we were traveling but one at bat the whole year. And uh, all of a sudden, the coach calls me up, and he wants me to pinch hit at the end of the game. I mean, this is a big game, good team. Yeah. We're about to lose the game, and all of a sudden, he calls me out of nowhere. Okay, Kettler, you know, I hear my name, and I'm, I do a double check. <laughs> like, are you, are you kidding me right now? I've been sitting the entire game, and I'm injured. I can't run. I can't I can't hardly twist my back, and you want me to hit, sure enough. So I, I go out there, and it, it was quite a bit of pressure, but I also knew I had an excuse if I messed up. Yeah. And so I was kind of relaxed, and... Uh, the first pitch was a, about a 90-mile-per-hour fastball in the outside corner. Uh, looked faster than normal because I wasn't used to hitting at this point. And then um, I was also a switch hitter, and so the pitcher was a righty, and I'm used to hitting left-handed against a righty. 
well, my back was so injured that I couldn't hit left-handed. And so now not only am I, am I straight off the bench, but I'm hitting on the opposite side of the plate than I'm used to against a righty. Wow. And so the first pitch was a 90-mile-per-hour fastball. I thought surely he's going to throw a slider uh, on the outside corner. And he threw another fastball, same spot. And I just loosely just let the hands go, and it was a line drive to right. And uh, we advanced the runner, and then they brought in a pinch runner for me. And then the next guy got a base hit, and we tied the game. And then we got another hit, and we, we won the game. Oh, wow. So that was a really cool memory. And that was actually – it was really special because my mom and my wife had, had driven up for that game specifically, not knowing that I was going to play. And uh, they were able to see my only hit. Uh, no, my, my only hit were, were uh, my second hit in college, but my only hit at which they were present. Wow, see that. that is cool. So did your your night? So you mentioned wife. Did she go to OU as well? She went to OSU, which is really oh, a, a fun thing nowadays. So when uh, OU and OSU are playing, I, I give her a hard time, and it's a lot of fun. That is good. Yeah. So did you graduate from OU? I didn't. I came back after my freshman year, and I, I graduated from UNT with, with a business degree. Okay. So at what point? I mean, you're a pastor now. So what point? Through all of that, did you feel God calling you into ministry? While I was sitting on the bench at OU, actually, while I was wrestling with this change in my life and the change of direction in my life, and I was I was starting to realize I'm not going to be able to play long term, so what am I going to do? And so I started praying, soul searching, and I realized, you know, I like teaching the Bible, I love scripture, I love people, I love caring for people and watching out for them, and so maybe I should go back and train to be a pastor. Wow. So that was during OU, the year at OU, and um, and then afterwards when I came back home, that was confirmed uh, as ministry opportunities opened up and as I started to use the gifts the Lord had given me for others, I started to realize that. So how long have you been in ministry? Um, seven years. Seven years now. Started in student ministry and now the lead pastor of Grace Point and Capel. So... Yeah, you just mentioned lead pastor here at Grace Point. So, and that just happened in the last four or five weeks. So, talk about being a, a lead pastor of a church in a town like Coppell at such a young age. It is, first of all, a ton of fun because this is my city and these are my people. And I am through and through a Coppellian, right? Yeah. And so, I know what it is to be a, a person living in Coppell. I know what it is to be a student and a kid and uh, to be an adult living in Coppell, a married couple. So, it's a lot of fun because I understand the people and I, I get to spend time with my people in my city and everything's familiar. Um, it's also very difficult because I am young and because I haven't done this before. It's a lot of responsibility, but it's the kind of responsibility where you know the Lord's with you and you know that he's called you to it. And so the responsibility becomes, even though it's a weight to carry, just like just like parenting would be a weight to carry. Right. Uh, uh, thing you're loving to do with a lot of responsibility it's it's something i get to do for christ and with christ and so um and and i know the work is so worth it so it's it's a lot of fun and i have great elders around me i have great men and staff around me and uh, great mentors in my life so so i know um you know being a lead pastor does bring on new responsibilities but i also know just from our friendship over the last six or seven months or so that you know, you, you have a, a pretty big passion for serving outside the walls of the church. So now that you're a lead pastor, how do you balance that role of leading the church, but also, you know, passion of outside the walls? Right. So our church, our, our church's approach to this is primarily through groups and through people 
um, building just one-on-one relationships with people in their everyday life and just loving them in such a way and caring about people in such a way that they find out what their needs are and then their group or their family meets those needs on their own of their own goodwill from you know faith in the Lord so that's how me and uh, that's my how uh, my wife and I uh, serve outside the walls is we just in our neighborhood or wherever we're living or wherever we're gathering or going we try to invest in a few relationships with people that God places in our path and then from there we learn about their needs because we have a loving relationship with them we're friends with them and then we just serve them the best we can with our resources our time and that becomes a distinct thing from mm-hmm. grace point activities although it's in the name of Christ and so we just try to say Lord who are you putting in our path uh, who are we coming across and, and how can we serve them yeah so still talking about being a pastor, I know, or I assume that there, you know, it's, there's a balancing act with family and, you know, and talk about, you know, maybe even with your wife, but even your parents and siblings, what impact does being a pastor have on relationships like that? Is there any added pressure or, you know, any other impacts? It, um, so with my family, I have to be very intentional with how I guard and set aside time for them mm. outside of uh, church ministry, because pastoring a church is uh, such that if you're not careful, you will work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right. because that's the kind of job it is. And so I have to also prioritize my wife, uh, my family living in Coppell, our parents, and I just basically on the weekends and then in the evenings, I set aside specific time for them. Um as it comes to serving others in the community and reaching them, being a pastor is actually an advantage because as soon as I ask them what they do for a job or what they do or what they like to do for a hobby, they ask me the same question back and I get to tell them I'm a pastor in Coppell. Um, this is, this is where I pastor. And it gives me an inroad spiritually right away to say, you know, I'm, I'm serving in this way and helping you in such a way in the name of Christ. And because I love you and because I was first loved by, by Christ and changed by him. There's actually a guy at our apartments who, the Lord again brought into our path and he was going through a really tough financial time, had lost a job three, three months before this. And I was able through that process, not only to help him relationally and financially, but actually talk to him about my faith in Christ and, and tell him why I was doing this. So that's that awesome. Helpful in that sense. That's good. So what advice would you offer, you know, a pastor that could be listening to this podcast who, you know, really wants to reach out? into his or her local community, but maybe that's not, you know, in their DNA of their church right now, but it's trying to get out of the community. What advice would you offer? Well, first, like I said, I would, I would have that pastor talk to the families and individuals in their church about what needs they perceive in the Mm. community. Because normally those families and individuals that are simply members of the church and not leaders of the church, they are out in the community more. And they rub shoulders with the people who are suffering or vulnerable, and they'll be able to identify a lot of those needs. The second thing is talk to city leaders about mm, where to find the needs. Um, I mean, you you know, Stuart, I asked you the other day even, you know, where, where do you perceive needs in Capella? Right. And you were able to tell me more than I ever knew because you're out there. Uh, and then city leaders, I asked our, our former city manager the other day who we can contact to find out where the underlying needs are in Coppell, and he gave us a good contact. So I would say contact city leaders and talk to families in your church. That's all. I just think partnerships with city leaders right. Is, right. is crucial, right? I mean, mm-hmm. 
not just understand needs, but just being in the community right. and kind of opens new doors. Influencing them, you know, if uh, someone comes to the city looking for a church, they, they recommend yours and or another good church in your city. There's lots of good churches here. So, Awesome. Well, keeping kind of with the theme of offering advice, if you will, I know, you know, a lot of our listeners are student athletes or coaches. So um, you talked about earlier in your story about living out your faith, that senior leading a Bible study. Um, and you also talked about athletics being a platform. Um, and, you know, I know that's a whole nother discussion among a lot of people about whether athletics should or shouldn't be a platform, but it is, can be used for good or bad. So what would you offer, what advice would you offer um, someone who um, wants to live out their faith in school um, in a time that is really not as popular as it once was? So it can be a struggle. Mm-hmm. The first thing I would say is be very uh, gentle and respectful hmm. to people who don't agree with your beliefs. Uh, don't be argumentative and brash and harsh and um, uh, just rough around the edges. Be very gentle and patient with people. And don't use them or treat them as a project first. Simply love them because they're another human being. That's, That's good. A, they will sense that in you. They will know the difference between someone who's just um, you know, peddling, uh, using them as a project, versus someone who actually cares about them. So prove to them first that you actually care about them. The second thing is something I preached about yesterday was the key to... I believe evangelism in our culture today is intentional relationships long-term. And so choosing that one or two people in your life that you can get coffee with or play top golf with or play Frisbee golf with, excuse me, disc golf for those who are uh, professional <laughs> disc golfers. I call got, it Frisbee yeah, as well. Frisbee but yeah. disc golfers. Um, whatever it is, you know, going to breakfast and get to know them because when you, you're much more likely to influence them for Christ if you're their friend first, because you'll eventually have enough time and trust to actually share your faith with them and, and give them room to ask questions. Don't expect them to just all of a sudden be like, oh yeah, I want to do that. I mean, all of us have questions. So give them safety and, and show them you actually love them first. That's awesome. That's something, I mean, as a dad, we talked to our oldest son, who's eighth grade, you know, about that because he wants to um, you know, God's using him in his school and, you know, just working on his heart. And we talk about that is that is build that relationship, yeah. you know, and to your point, I think we all could use a little more gentleness and respect mm-hmm. and see people for the way God sees them. That's good. And don't, you know, and don't be afraid to at that point where they have that, you have that trust with them. Don't be afraid to challenge them gently. Right. You can challenge someone very graciously. Because uh, you know Jesus and the apostles and the New Testament always calls us to a response to the to the message about Jesus, and so I would say be very gracious and compassionate. Love them first. Don't use them. But then once you have that trust and the time with them and they're asking questions, then you can challenge them. That's very good. No, that's a great reminder for all of us, not just student athletes and coaches. Well, I know that's where the question was geared, but I think that's a reminder even for me. You know, especially in a time when. Yeah. It's very divided, and everybody yeah. seems to be a little more on edge. That's very good. Yeah. So the last question we ask everybody that's a guest on the podcast, it's it's about being all in because the name of our organization is All In Sports Outreach. And um, so we just ask everybody what that means to them, um, the term being all in. A lot of athletic programs, high school and college, use all in as a tagline. And everything we do with kids, we start every um, sports camp or any op- outreach opportunity we have with talking about what it means to be all in and at home and school, spiritual life. So what does it mean to you um, specifically, you know, being all in in your walk with Christ? 
Well, I think of you know Jesus' most fundamental words. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Uh, for whoever uh, wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will, will save his life. And so it means waking up every day and saying that I'm no longer, because, because Christ uh, died for me and rose from the dead, and to give me a new relationship with God, because he's been so gracious to me, I no longer live for myself, I now live for him. Um, and now that means that, you know, as I work and as I pray and as I uh, build relationships and as I serve the community, I'm really not doing it for myself at all. Mm. I'm doing it for him. And that's a, that's a sacrifice of worship to him that brings honor to him. And so living all in is a very practical matter. It's not just a private matter. And it becomes, all of life becomes worship, if you will, uh, because of the grace that I've received from him. That's awesome. That's good. That's a good way to close it out. So thanks again, Chad, for for joining us today and sharing just a little bit about your story and encouraging listeners to, you know, what it really means to live out their faith. So appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You bet. And I know um, I've been encouraged by listening to it. And like I always am, anytime we're able to grab coffee or whatever, I'm always encouraged by your your uh, passion for for people. So I appreciate that. And uh, we also always want to thank our listeners um, for always listening to us, for downloading and sharing these podcasts with family and friends. We love hearing from you. You can stay in touch with us um, two ways. If you're on Facebook, go to All In Sports Outreach. Um, You can send us a message there. We love um, hearing feedback, hearing ideas. Also, you can keep up with uh, events that we have both in Alabama and Texas on our Facebook page or non-Facebook users. Just go to our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org. Again, find out anything you want to know about us. You can communicate with us through the website as well. Um, So thank you again for listening, and until next time, God bless.